Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is February the 6th, 2020. This is episode 2597 of the Survival Podcast. It's a Thursday, but we're doing a standalone show, a Just Jack show. This was going to be kind of expanding on yesterday's. I'm kind of enjoying this idea once in a while of having a guest on coming up with a theme and then expanding on it. This one maybe not as directly related as the way I did that last week, but yesterday we had uh, Brian Norton on, and we talked about a lot of things, but one of the key themes was how many opportunities exist in the world uh, today, especially things that didn't exist back when you know I was 25 years old. And on that and some discussions I've had recently with some people on social media, I decided I would do today's show uh, and call it No One Will Give You Anything in Life, and that's great. I, I think that, and, and there might be a little bit of kind of verbal ass beating in today's show, but I'm actually not trying to do that. I mean, I just think with the subject matter, it's going to happen. I might as well admit it. Um, but in general, I, I'm I'm very serious about the and that's great part. I really am, and I I just wonder how much better off we would be if we started to ingrain in people, and I won't say just young people, because this is chronic. A lot of things that we assign to the current generation, the younger millennial, the younger half of the millennial generation, the the, the youngest uh, young adults now coming up in what they're calling Gen Z, etc. Um, this shit's been going on for 30 years. And it's just gotten worse. And, and the the percentage of people enamored with entitlement has just gotten bigger. It's not like it's new. We got to stop acting like it's new. And we also have to remember, like those of us who are older, if you're bitching about the younger generation, where'd they learn that shit from? It didn't like space aliens didn't show up and start teaching them something different. They learned it from us. And I know they may not have learned it from you and I as individuals, but they learned it from our generation and the one before ours. We're the ones that taught them to think this way, and really authority taught them to think this way. But what if we started teaching people how great it is to not be given shit, to not be handed shit? Not that, you know, it's just not fair. Or not, it just doesn't work that way. That's, that's not what I mean. And usually when this discussion is had, that's where we come from. Hey, you don't just get shit because you showed up, right? Or, you know, you need to work for what you... But what is the what is the good in that? And it isn't just that the people that worked hard for their stuff get to keep it. I mean, that's, that's, that's actually not how you motivate somebody who hasn't gotten there yet. See, a lot of people, the reason they're so big on taking what other people have and redistributing it regardless of how it's proposed that it be done, because the right is big on redistribution of wealth, too. They just have a different goal with it. I'll tell you what, just to make that abundantly clear, do you know the number one reason Democrats are mad at Trump? He's done a lot of their policies that they weren't able to get done. The man's been the best Democratic president we've had in 50 years, from a standpoint of if you want the things Democrats say they want. And it, isn't it amazing? Political tribalism takes over, right? But what if we actually taught people that the less that they're handed, the better off they are? And I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Because I look back to me when I was young and broke. And I wanted more so badly. And I just think back to that person that I was. And if somebody had just handed me everything I needed to be comfortable, not even everything I wanted, just everything I needed to be comfortable, just handed it to me. So that I didn't have to worry about my basic needs. Because that's what that's what the story always is. We're just wanna, we just want to make sure everybody has their basic needs, their basic hierarchy of needs met or whatever. What if somebody had done that for me? Let me tell you what there wouldn't be. There wouldn't be a survival podcast. And everything that has happened because of this show, good and bad, 
would not have happened. And I'd like to believe that the good vastly outweighs the bad. And I don't mean things that I get to, you know, get to see, touch, claim, etc. I know, because of how many people have told me what it has done for them, how many things that I'll never know about must have happened that are positive. If I had been handed everything that would have made me comfortable when I was 17 years old, 18 years old, I wouldn't have joined the Army. All the lessons that I learned from that, good and bad, I'd, I'd not have. I would have probably never moved to Texas. There's a very good chance right now that my life would be something that I might look at and go, well, I have all my needs, but I would probably be fairly miserable. I would have probably never discovered permaculture. I definitely wouldn't have achieved the things that I've achieved in life because I would have lost all my motivation. I know that the fire in my stomach at that point in my life came from not having what I want is simply not going to work. It would have literally stripped all of that motivation directly out of my life. And we're going to examine how I'm not unique that way. That that's pretty typical of human beings. That's pretty typical. And how when we convince people that if somebody would only do this for you, it, 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 it largely does the same thing. It strips that motivation. And the, the more we can make them believe that someday it will happen, the more we strip that motivation. So that the greatest gift we can give people is to look them straight in the eye and tell them the honest truth. Nobody is going to give you shit, and that's great. That's what we're going to talk about today. Before we do, let's lead off with a quote of the day that fits right into this. This is by Eric Rice, and here's the quote. Meritocracy is a good thing. Whenever possible, people should be judged based on their work and results, not superficial qualities. We should judge people on their work and their results, not superficial qualities. And I think this goes in many directions, too. I think there's times that we look at people and say, well, that's really good considering they're so young. I think there's a place for that to a degree, but in the end, did it work? Did it work? Did it work, and did they actually do it? Or did somebody do it and then assign them as a front man to it? We don't judge things on results, and that's why we're easily led into making stupid decisions as a society. We judge things based on how they feel. When we, If you listen to a lot of what politicians pro, uh, promise, they don't actually explain that they will work, how they're going to work, that they're going to work, and what it looks like if they do. They appeal to emotion, which, as we know, is a fallacy. If we actually judged politicians on meritocracy, almost none of them would have a job right now. On e in either party, it wouldn't matter. But yet we build so much of our lives on what we're promised versus what we have. Because as we move into this, I, I just kind of want to take you back to why this is done in the first place. What we're talking about today is actually championing the individual. See, when you tell somebody nobody's going to give you anything, and that's great, what you're saying is you, the individual, have everything you need to get what you want if you'll actually do the work in order to have it. That's what we're actually saying. And, and, and what people want to do that always want to, like, get around this is go, but there's some people. Can we stop worrying about those people? Yes, there are 5% of society that are literally incapable of doing things for themselves. We've built that number up to about 25% to 30% of society who have been convinced that they can't. But there are about 5%. Guess what? There are plenty of people willing to help those people. And if we get the other 20, 25% that have been convinced they're part of that group to not be part of that group, the problem will be a lot easier to solve. It will be a lot easier to solve because there will be a whole lot less of them. And the people that are part of that group that shouldn't be in it will be part of the solution versus part of the problem. But those in power have no interest in this. 
The number one way that you maintain power in a relationship is to convince whoever you're holding power over that they need you. This is the same gaslighting that's done in romantic relationships where a man tells a woman something like, no one will ever love you as much as I will. Right? It's the same thing. It's government, you know, without us, who will build the roads? It's the same concept. You need me. You need me. And every step that an individual takes toward the growth of understanding that a relationship is consensual, in a true consensual relationship makes the relationship stronger. But in a power-based relationship, it makes the relationship weaker. More accurately, it makes the control of the controlling party weaker. Government seeks not a consensual relationship with you. Almost nothing government does, it does, does through consent. Everything government does, it does by mandate and a threat of the use of force and violence. That is the way that it is. You can try to pretend that it isn't, but it is. The danger there is once that dynamic is established, and you take an entity like a government, a government whose natural uh, method is to grow, that's their natural behavior, you cannot show me a government that has gotten smaller ever, really, other than through failure. Any government that's relatively successful gets larger and more powerful. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Has the United States government gotten larger in the last 200 years or smaller? Well, like 200, there's so many things. That, okay, in the last 10 years, has the United States government gotten larger or smaller? Since Trump took over, who's a champion of small government and freedom of law, has the government in the last three years gotten larger or smaller? You might have the illusion the government has gotten somewhat smaller because of how many regulations, to be fair, that Trump has pulled back. But the size of government itself, the size of agencies, the number of employees, etc., has not gotten smaller. It's gotten larger, and it will continue to get larger. And the things that government is able to do and force and compel others to do has gotten larger. Why would those in power, in a system that's by its very nature needs to grow and expand and increase in power, ever champion the individual. In that relationship we talked about, the abusive relationship with a man that gaslights a woman, no one will ever love you as much as I do. The implication is you're not that lovable. In that relationship, why would that person ever build up their partner? That's not the person that ever says, you are amazing. I'm lucky to have you. That's not how that relationship works. That relationship always works from me, 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 me control. That's government. You need me, and I can't champion the individual unless it suits my goals. If you take a look at when, when, when politicians do this, and Trump's a master of it. There's this guy. He's here tonight. And he did all these things. And oh my God, this is amazing. But it's always to make them look good. It's never to make you think that you can go do that shit. It's because of me, they were able to, and you need me so you can too. And sometimes, the people they hold up as an example are so amazing that they shine right through that bullshit. But the first thing you have to do to get out of an abusive relationship is value yourself and understand the abuse. And you have to understand that somebody that's using power to control you will never champion your individual ability. So it's going to be up to you to do it. The next thing you have to ask yourself is why do people in power use division warfare? People call this class warfare. I don't like calling it class warfare because it's too limited in scope. Government uses literally every difference, difference that people have as a form of war, well, uh, warfare to convince you again that, that you need them. That's what they do. And they don't even, it's, it's, it is this, it is like the psychopath in a relationship that doesn't even know what they're doing half the time. It's just a natural behavior for them. That's how the state works. It's, it's, you know, the rich, the poor. The black, the white, 
the gay, the straight, the middle class, the rural, the urban, the inner city. And they do it both with positives and negatives. And they do that because it works. And that means the only way you can break free with that is to separate yourself from it. I don't care how fill-in-the-blank group of people are doing. I care how people are doing in general. And I care that every individual has a right to pursue their dreams. That's it. That's it. If, if That is all we need. If we are to have a government at all, that is all we need is the right to pursue your dreams is protected and your individual rights are protected and nothing more. Nothing more. Because individuals actually have enough power to achieve what they want. I've said this so many times that I feel like I'm going to turn blue in the face from saying it, but it is the truth. And it's, it, it actually is the number one thing that I would like to teach young people in, in society today. Because I will say one thing about the young people in society today. One thing they do is dream big. They dream big. They're noble. They want really good things for the world. And they want to feel that they are part of it. That's awesome. That is amazing. But they have been disempowered and they believe that someone else needs to do it on their behalf. That they can be a part of it, but they can't be the actual mechanism of change that makes it happen. It only can be done collectively. That, that, is, that is the illusion that's been created. What I would like to teach them, because I believe that once you learn this lesson, you will begin to design your life around all of the, all of the, the obstacles, and you will stop being controlled. If you can learn this one thing. And here's what it is. If you figure out something that you really want to do, you really want to accomplish, and I don't mean some nebulous goal like bring peace to the world, right? Because that's, that's first of all, that's not going to happen. But maybe you can bring peace to somebody or some group or something or some small place or whatever it is. But if you actually can, can get it down, to a point where you define it as a doable project. I want to do A through D and get this thing done with the result being Z. If you can do that, if you can pull yourself far enough out to get that defined, where you can actually put it down on paper and say, this is my thing that I want to accomplish. You will find, initially, the thing that holds you back is money. You'll become convinced, if I could fund this with $100,000 or $200,000 or half a million or $20 million or whatever the number is, if I could raise that capital, I could do this thing. Again, if it's bring peace to, to, to the continent of Africa, probably not going to happen. But if it's anything manageable, I don't care what the number is. It could be millions of dollars. If you actually dedicate yourself 100% to it, you will find a source of funding. Assuming what you're doing is noble. You will be able to find help, assistance, financing, loans, charity, your own resources you didn't realize you had. One way or another, you will be able to create enough financial power to do what you want to do. And not because of the law of attraction in the universe and if you believe you can achieve none of that bullshit. It's just because it's actually not as hard as you've been convinced that it is. But if you actually take that step and do that, you will quickly find the number one thing that will impede your progress is government. Is government. If you solve the economic side of the equation, government will be in your way. When I wanted to create a community... I was like, here's what I want to do, and I could kind of do this for about a million dollars. And I threw out some testers, and within three weeks, I had pledged money of almost $5 million from people that were willing to get involved. And a man from the FTC said, if you do what you're going to do, they'll put you in federal prison. And even as I designed my way around that, every single hang-up, every single hang-up was about government and regulation from local to federal and back again. And the truth is, I must not have wanted it as bad as I said I did because I would have sooner or later found my way around it. I believe you can too. I actually decided, hey, this is another way to try this. 
And I also decided there's things in my life that I want more, and here's what I have to give to get this thing, and maybe I don't want it that much. I'm at peace with that. But I can tell you the biggest impediment is the state. Once you know that, once you know that, it's very difficult for you to be bullshitted anymore and believe that the very thing that prevents you from doing what you most want to do is ever going to solve the problem for you. Because what we've been convinced is if government would just do this one more thing for us, if they would just do this one more thing for us, we would be okay. And we've also convinced ourselves, if government does this one more thing, it's all over and we're all going to die. Those are the two extremes. Let me tell you what 50 years of living on this planet has basically taught me about meritocracy. It ain't always fair, but it works in the end. No matter who's been in charge, I have seen... This government of our United States of America completely under control of Republicans. I have seen it completely under control of Democrats. And I've seen it split in every way that you can in the about 35 years that I've been old enough to pay attention and know what was going on. And in the end, the truth is what I did had a bigger impact on my life than anything anybody did in Washington, D.C. or Austin, Texas or when I lived in Pennsylvania and Harrisburg. Or even at my local town council or whatever, like nothing has mattered more than what I did or didn't do. And that has never changed. And because it hasn't changed in 35 years of me paying attention, 50 years of me walking the planet, I have no expectation that it will. I have no expectation that that is ever going to change. No, not everybody that tries really hard gets what they want. But everybody that keeps trying will eventually get enough to make it worth trying in the first place. That's a meritocracy. A meritocracy isn't a, a guarantee that if you work hard, you will get ahead. That's a lie we tell children in school to get them to do their homework and be obedient. Working hard does not always equal results. If you look at a fly that gets stuck in a house and finds a window and can see the outside, and so becomes obsessed with that window because they can see to the outside where they want to be. And they try with everything in their little fly heart flying against that window to get out. That's what happens to people who work really, really hard but don't accept feedback. This is a glass wall. It's not going to move. You need to do something different. They die pushing on the wall. And then the people that want to control you point to them and say, See? If things were really fair, this person would have succeeded. I'm sorry. If you set yourself on fire, you're going to burst into flame and die. No matter how hard you tried, that was a foolish decision. And it's not society's, it's not society's uh, obligation to remove the consequences of poor decision-making from people. It's to give you the opportunity. It's to give you the opportunity. I want you to think about how bad it might be if people were just given what they want. Especially if the state controlled access to it. There's an old episode of The Twilight Zone that really made this, po that made this point very, very, very good. And it was really about kind of the eternal question of, you know, heaven and hell, life after death, etc. So this guy is, a, you know, kind of a two-bit criminal. And... He goes and he robs a place. I don't remember exactly the circumstances, but he he gets killed. He wakes up and there's this guy, kind of suit and tie guy with like a clipboard and all talking to him. But at first he doesn't even realize he's dead. Because everything looks the same. He's in the same town. He's in the same streets. He's dressed the same. And the guy says, you know, basically you you die. He said, what do you mean I died? You died. You're dead. But the good news is now you can have whatever you want. And the guy's like bullshit. So he's like, well, what I want that is the best suite at that hotel over there across the street. And there's like a hotel and casino. And the guy's like, okay, done. And he goes in. And it, sure enough, he's, he's got the best. He's I want a new suit of clothes. Boom, he's got a new suit of clothes on. He wants babes. He's got women hanging on him. Every time he pulls a slot machine, he wins money. And he thinks it's great. A couple weeks go by, he starts to get bored. He starts to get bored. He doesn't really enjoy himself anymore. And his, you know, kind of guide, like the guy he sees as his angel, 
is like, perhaps you would enjoy, you know, rediscovering your old occupation, meaning being a crook. And the guy says to him, yeah, I could pull off a job, you know, and he's going to go, you know, rob a place or whatever. And he starts thinking about it. He goes, he goes, hey, wait a minute. Could there be a chance that I would get caught? And the guy pulls out his pad and paper, gets his pen and says, what percentage of, ch of chance would you like there to be? And the guy looks completely, totally deflated at that point. Realizing that none of this is real anymore to him. This is the way things are always going to be. And the more he thinks about it, the more he realizes how miserable this all makes him. That heaven is, is, is literally a hell to him. That having everything he wants just handed to him has removed the very things that made life worth living. So he goes to the guy with the clip, you know, the, the pad and paper, his, his angel, and says, this is a mistake. I want to go to the other place. This is a place for good people. People that deserve to get everything that they want. I don't want to be here anymore. Take me to the other place. And the guy looks at him and goes, this is the other place and starts laughing at him. Ha, 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 evil, demonic laugh, right? Now, it's just a story and something that a guy like Rod Serling had to come up with to make, you know, five episodes a week, you know, for five years. Back when, you know, a season was 50 shows or 40 shows or something like that instead of 12 like it is now. So it's not perfect. But, boy, it, it does really drive that lesson home. This is how being given everything you want really works. It absolutely demotivates you. It absolutely stops making any kind of a struggle worth having. And if you think about it, we as humans create struggles for ourselves. Think about what a video game symbolizes. You know, we play video games, and if the video game gets too easy, you stop and play a new video game. You learn a cheat code, and then... Eh. Now, I'm, I don't play games myself. I'm not a game person, but I get the, I get the analogy. Hopefully you do, too. But what if we had not just a situation where people had everything just handed to them, but daddy government gets to decide whether you get it or not. Oh, you were a bad boy. You don't get it anymore. There's no way we could have the advancements we do in the world with that type of a system, especially while we're victimizing the people who are best by taking what they have away. And guess what? That's exactly the system we have anyway. Right now, we're already there. Right now, we already have a system. It's very difficult to fail completely in America. You have to want to. You have to want to fail. To fail. And when I say fail, I mean like literally be homeless type failure. I mean, if you look at something like the number one way I can prove that is the massive correlation between poverty and obesity in the United States. Now, we can kick the modern food system, the sources of cheap calories and all that, but in, in reality, if you are poor and fat, we have already proven that something is wrong in our society. Because instead of a poor person being motivated by potential starvation, they are demotivated by everything that comes along with a life of obesity. We have fat, poor people in America. In fact, not only do we have fat, poor people, the majority of poor people are fat. That's one of those things that there's a lot of resistance in the human mind that you don't want to take in the implications of what that really means. But if you allow yourself to really ponder that, The poorest people in our country are, percentage-wise, the most obese. We do not have a problem with scarcity in America. We do not have a problem with scarcity in America. One more time, we do not have a scarcity issue. We have an absolute, fundamental, structural problem with how people perceive the world and what people expect and what people want to be handed to them. So what should you do? 
with this amazing gift of the fact that no one's going to really give you anything. And even if they do, it won't help you. It won't help you unless you figure out how to make it help you. Let me put it to you that way. Unless you figure out how to make it help you, it won't help you. It'll actually make the situation worse. So what do you do with the amazing gift that is, in the end, you really control everything? Number one, you determine what you really want. The number one reason I think people are not out getting shit done, they don't really know what it is. They come up with little passing fancies or generalized concepts, but they don't. Remember what I talked about? If you could actually formulate what you want to do down to an action plan, I want to accomplish X. In order to accomplish X, I need to do, you know, A, B, C, and D in this order. People don't know what the X is. They don't know what their X is. It, it, it does at times involve following your passion. I'm very big on following your passion, though I think that gets overemphasized. The, the one thing I agree with some of the, you know, very wealthy people that have a, like Mark Cuban has a problem with the term follow your passion. We disagree on it. But I think the point he's actually trying to make is, yeah, you can't let some fanciful bullshit get in the way from you actually achieving something. So you have to figure out what you're really passionate about, but you also have to figure out that sometimes a lot of things you're not passionate about need to be done to accomplish the thing or live the life you're passionate about. You might have to scrub the undersides of desks in a school as a janitor for a time. Or whatever you think of as being something you really don't want to do. What I was thinking of when I said that, the movie Head of State with, with Chris, Chris, was it Chris Tucker? Chris Rock? Whoever. Um, he said, he says at one point when he's given a speech, he thinks he's pointing to the Lincoln Memorial And he says, I think about the guy that has to scrub Lincoln's balls for minimum wage. You might have to. Maybe that's what, I bet you the guy that does that actually is a union worker that gets paid very well. But metaphorically, you might have to. To, to get what you want that you're passionate about. But before you can do even that, you got to figure out what it is. Most people don't know what they want. They are so pulled in so many directions And they are so clouded as to it being somebody else's fault that they're unhappy. They don't even really know why they're unhappy. They just know that they are. And it's totally by design. Because it's very hard to control a group of people who know exactly what they want and have a plan to get there. Whether they're there or not, doesn't matter. Very difficult to control those people. And you have a system that we call government. That seeks control. And even if you don't have a, you know, it's not like everybody in government, it's like Monty Burns from The Simpsons. Excellent. And planning and plotting this. When you, you have to start seeing government as what it really is, it's almost a life form of its own. And it's going to seek survival and equilibrium. And when, actually, it's, it, it's, it's more like that than it's not. Because you have so many people inside governments as both politicians and bureaucrats seeking their own best interest and their own survival while having the power of a monopoly and the ability to use force to maintain their survival in a way that's been accepted universally by most other people. So you're going to end up with that control mechanism in place. And it starts with having people who don't really know what they want, so they turn to you and say, tell me what I want. And then you promise to give it to them, and you give them pieces of it. Remember 1984? We have increased the chocolate ration. Do you think those people really wanted chocolate, or it just made them feel better? What do you think the point of that was? Do you think it was really about chocolate? <laughs> then determine what needs doing to get it. I want this. These are the things I need to do to get it. And then determine what stands in your way. Because trust me, that first battle plan will not survive contact with the enemy. So you might want to start assessing the enemy, which is anything in your way. That doesn't mean that necessarily what's in your way is evil or bad or wrong. It just is. If I want to go 
from here to there, and between me and there is a mountain. The mountain is not evil. The mountain's not bad. But if I don't assess the situation correctly, I could die somewhere up in the up in you know the top of on the way up on the other side falling off of that mountain. That mountain can kill me. It's it, it's it's not organic, it's not alive. It just is. It's a big lump in the earth. I either need to plan my route across it or around it. If I go around it, maybe it's going to take longer. How big is it? How far around do I have to go? What's in my way if I go around it? Is there a path through it? Can I turn around 180 degrees and get to a place just like the one on the other side of that mountain without going over it? Again, this is all metaphorical. But you have to determine what needs doing and design your way around the things that impede your progress. In the words of Jeff Lawton from Permaculture, the more restrictions placed on a design, the more eloquent the design, if the designer is good at his task. Since this is what you want, then you owe it to yourself to become really good at building a design to get it, because no one else is going to give it to you, and that's great. And then while you're doing all this, you have to largely ignore the shit-flinging monkeys of society and politics. So I think sometimes people wonder, like, Jack, since you always say this, why do you bother, like, on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, engaging with people on these subjects? I'd like to actually explain why I do that. I do that to understand how screwed up people's thinking really is. Most of what people think about government... Most of what people think about other groups of people, you know, in other words, rich people or black people or white people or whatever, most of it is so divorced from what I perceive as reality, I actually have to engage with them and get them to, to spill their guts, to even understand the problems that exist in society. Because I don't think that way. I don't, I have literally gotten to a point where I see completely unlimited potential for anybody who really wants to fulfill their potential. So to understand how people limit themselves, I have to actually, I actually have to hear them say it more than once to, to believe that they believe their own bullshit, to understand it, to develop solutions for it. And even with that, I have to tell you, I'm tiring of it. It's like, okay, I've done that now for long enough. I'm getting to the point where I don't even care about that anymore. Like I've realized that like you can you can pick certain people and go, you know, I really think this person has potential. And you can try to wake them up. And then you realize like they're not ready and nothing I say is actually going to make them ready. In fact, what I'm saying might actually make them cling more to their sleep. Have you ever tried to wake somebody up? I mean literally wake somebody like they're like a kid that's asleep. And you can tell that maybe their, their, their mind is actually engaged in like a, a good dream. And you can literally see them cling to their sleep. Most people in society today, if you had them listen to this and you thought, man, this is what they need to hear, it would probably actually make them close down even more. Because until you're ready to hear this, you will resist it and you will resist it even violently. But in the end, the next thing you do after you determine what you really want, determine what needs doing and get on it, determine what stands in your way and start designing around it, and as you build that for yourself, ignoring all the shit-flinging monkeys around you, do you know what comes next? You win. That's what comes next. You win. I mean, the whole point to this is it doesn't matter if you believe it. It doesn't matter if you agree with it. It is the way things are. And they're never going to really change. There's a lot of things that will change in the world. In the end, no matter what you do, the people that have the most drive, the most desire, and are willing to sacrifice the most to get what they want will. You can move the starting line anywhere you want. You can impose any penalty on, on success that you want to. And the best will still excel. There was a, um, a short story written by uh, Kurt Vonnegut. 
that was actually eventually made into a movie that kind of really expanded on the short story, way beyond what the story was. The original story was about a ballet dancer in a world where people were controlled with a band that made everybody equal. And then the, the, the movie was actually made, I can't think of a guy's name, Sean something or whatever. The guy that played Rudy plays the, the part in it. It's called Harrison Bergeron. And it was, it was, uh, uh, I think it was made by Showtime and it kind of just vanished. The whole thing's actually available for free on YouTube, but it really vanished. It's not on any streaming services. Like nobody really wants this thing out there. And the concept was that you put this band around people's heads. And as somebody that was really smart, you just kind of dialed them back. And, you, and, and the purpose of government was to render everybody equal. But even in this story, no matter how high you turn the band up, no matter how much you condition the exceptional person to believe that they should actually desire being average, the exceptional people always be behaved exceptionally. And that there was a whole different place for exceptional people to be. And that in the end, the exceptional would rise. So that's what I mean when I say metaphorically. You can turn up the bands as high as you want. The exceptional person will end up being exceptional anyway. And then the most important thing. And again, this isn't some motivational self-help You know, uh, speaker crap. We are all potentially exceptional people. Every single one of us. Now, the majority of people will never actually fulfill the potential that they have to be exceptional. And the, the, the number one reason they won't do it is because they'll never actually discover what they have the potential to be exceptional at. In the words of Einstein, we're all geniuses at something. We determined Einstein was a genius because what he was a genius at was mathematics and science in a way that forever altered how humanity saw mathematics and science. That's such a big thing that it's obvious you're dealing with a genius level IQ. But there are geniuses inside every human being. I think even people, when we go like, oh, this person is mentally incompetent, I bet there's something. I bet there's something they can do better than you. And something significant, something that matters. I mean, in the end, it works out this way. Yes, it's not fair. Doesn't matter. It is. You shouldn't have to, but you do. And the big thing that I want you to understand when you hear me do a show like this, and I'm talking to you, the individual, I am talking to you. I want you to understand that. That there's a couple hundred thousand people a day listen to this show. But if I didn't think that when I speak like this, that there's some handful of people that, that would realize he's talking to me on purpose right Now, so that I will wake the hell up and see this in my own life. So that I can get what I want. Because I, because I can. And I think what people really need to understand to actually make all of this work is something that we have been, and I've talked about this before, but we have been so programmed to believe that what I'm about to say is selfish. And it's not. You deserve what you want. We've actually been taught To one, be entitled, but then disdain that statement as an entitlement attitude. You deserve what you want is not a statement of entitlement. Because it makes no declaration on what it takes for that to be fulfilled. You do deserve what you want, but the work required to get it is 100% on you. But until you actually believe that you're worthy of and deserve it. See, I think one of the reasons we're, we're so, so seduced by various forms of collectivism is, well, I deserve this, but the reason I deserve it is because everybody deserves it. There's nothing about me that makes me exceptional in that I deserve this thing. 
Well, everybody should have it. So stealing from people that already do to give it to people that don't to render them all equal, that's okay. And again, it is such a collective message that it disempowers your individualism. But the message of you deserve what you want. But it's up to you to get it. That's a totally different message. It gives you permission to stop making excuses. It compels you to figure out, well, what is that exactly? Because there's the other side of this. Tick-tock, 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 tick-tock. The clock ticks for us all. We have a limited time on this planet that we're even alive. And for the very first part of it, we shit our pants and we're not capable of doing anything for ourselves. And then for another period of it, we're a bit beyond that, but we still are really dependent on these things we call parents. We then eventually hit the part of our life where we really do get to pick what we do for ourselves. And that lasts for a time. And our physical abilities begin to decline almost instantly. No matter how much we convince ourselves because we go to the gym or whatever that we're as fit at 50 as we were at 20, no, we're not. And if you doubt that, how many 50-year-old NFL players are there? And you think those guys are not taking care of themselves? Really? You see, that's, that's why an old man in the NFL is 35. That's why, because the body breaks down. They, they show it at a marked rate because of what their bodies go through. But in the end, in the end, from the time we kind of hit a real stride with having autonomy and freedom, we actually begin a very slow, very long, because we're a long-lived species, physical decline. We also, we can keep learning and challenging ourselves and doing more, but we actually lose the ability to learn at the rate that we have when we're young. Young people learn far more quickly than old people, and we actually then begin to get set in our ways to where it even becomes more difficult to learn new things. It almost seems cruel when you think about it, and most of us end our lives shitting in our pants again. There's only so much window in the middle. And if you have the ability to achieve whatever you want while you're in that window, and you don't know what the hell that is, you're wasting it. And that's my biggest problem with all of this, you know, warfare, all this division warfare, this divisiveness, all of this promise of the, what the state will do for you, all of these things that make you wait instead of act. It's stealing from you. It's stealing from you. And since what you want to do will help other people, it's stealing from them. And since when they are helped, they could actually fulfill what they're capable of as well and help others, it's stealing from them. It's stealing from everybody. It's not just about taxes or money or things. It's the literal demotivation of people where they become complacent to just have whatever's enough. And then you somehow think that you're, you're noble or virtuous because I don't want that much. You're selfish. You're selfish when you say you don't want that much. What that means is I don't want to do more, make more, create more, and leave something for the world. People say, I don't want that much. I just want to plant a tree. Plant 50, plant 100, plant 1,000. Directly or metaphorically, I don't care. You have this gift, this time, this dash, that when they bury you, they're going to put that year down that you were born, the year down that you died, and in the middle will be that dash, that hyphen, and that is you. What have you done with it? While you're in that hyphen, no one's giving you shit. No one's giving you shit. Everything that is given to you will be on some level conditional. And in many levels designed to control you. Especially if it comes from authority. Instead of just the gift from someone who chose to give it to you. So when I say no one will give you shit, 
It doesn't really mean no one will ever give you anything. But when it comes to getting what you really want, all somebody can ever give you is some guidance or a little bit of assistance. In the end, you have to go do it. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? If you're begging for someone to do something about it, you're wasting it. If you're waiting for somebody to solve it for you, you're wasting it. And sooner or later, you'll come to this realization. And when you do, it will literally be like you have stepped onto your own tombstone as a little tiny image of yourself, like a little hologram. And you'll see yourself standing on that dash. And you'll be able to look back at the year you were born, look ahead at the year you're going to die, whenever that is, even though that's an X that's unknown right now. And you'll be able to look down and see the dash that you stand on. And trust me, your greatest regret will be how long it took you to look down and see it relative to how far back you can look to where you started. So you might as well do it now. You might as well do it right now. And you might as well see the fact that it's not a fair system. You might as well see the fact that largely the, the apparatuses of control will make it worse in your future. You might as well see it all as a gift. Because in the end, you still have the gray matter between your ears. You can still fog a mirror. You can still make a difference. And in the end, the exceptional always perform exceptionally. And in the end, we are all exceptional at something. Your goal in life should be able to, should be to determine what that is. And then it will be natural for you to excel at it. It really will. I didn't say easy. I didn't even say simple. But it will be natural. An eagle is exceptional at flying. It still has to learn how to do it. But it's in its very nature to soar. A fish is exceptional at swimming. We as humans have more diversity in what we are exceptional at than any other species we know of. And that diversity is our greatest strength. If we'll embrace it, if we'll chase it, if we'll see the challenge is worthy, and if we'll take the first step which is seeing everything that stands in your way is a gift. Because if it wasn't there, you'd have no boundaries, you'd have no limits, and you'd have nothing to overcome. And you might find yourself saying, this isn't where I belong. I belong in the other place. And you might realize, this isn't the other place. It's the only place. With that, we've wrapped up another episode of the Survival Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you did and you want to support us, one of the ways you can do that is by becoming a member of our site. That's the Survival Podcast Members Support Brigade. If you do that, you can help support us with a contribution of $50 a year. But it's not a contribution. This is not public radio or, or, or PBS. Now, this is a place where we believe in value-for-value value exchanges. So one of the main values I get for you guys is discounts. Discounts to almost 80 different companies on stuff you're probably buying anyway. So you use the discounts and you end up coming out ahead. Here's an example of a company that gives you great discounts. Uh, expert council member Patrick Rohrman of MT Knives does a discount. I don't know if you knew that. But you can get a discount on some of the best and sharpest knives made with mtknives.net. I mean, that's just one example of, again, almost 80 different companies that give you discounts. So check out the MSB today and consider supporting us in the work that we do. The other way, simple way, the painless way, do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. If you do your online shopping at tspaz.com, you help the survival podcast no matter what you buy. Today's item of the day is the Gerber Dime Multi-Tool. This is a little, like, it's like a little mini Leatherman, except it's not a Leatherman because it's made by Gerber. Um, I have actually tried quite a few different of the micro multi-tools, the little ones that are small enough to go on your keychain. And after trying a, a large variety of them, I settled on the Gerber Dime as the best bang for the buck. They're about 16 bucks. You got a little pair of pliers, a little pair of scissors, you got a little knife, a little screwdriver, bottle opener, retail package opener. 
And that one has been more useful than I ever thought it would ever really be. I love the little retail package opener. It's basically, you know, if you've ever had a, a knife with a gut hook on it, think about it. It's like that for opening up clamshells, right? Um, tweezers, a file, uh, screwdriver heads, both flat and um, uh, Phillips. Just a great little tool. Does have limits. If you read my write-up today, you'll see how I actually broke one. Um, it took a lot, but you can break one. They are not going to replace a full-size multi-tool. And a full-size multi-tool does not replace a dedicated pair of pliers or channel locks. Like, there are limits to things. But by having this on your keychain, you'll find yourself using it an awful lot, and you'll realize, like, it really should have always been there. It's part of my EDC for the uninitiated. That's everyday carry. It should be part of yours, too. The Gerber Dime Multi-Tool. You can find it at tspaz.com, along with all the other things that we recommend. And, again, as long as you shop there, you help support us no matter what you buy. That brings us to our song of the day today. This is uh, Queen Week. And I have to say this is one of my least um, favorite songs by Queen. And it's not the lyrics or the message or anything about it other than I just, I don't think it's that great a song, although though it was one of their first hits. It's called The Seven Seas of Rye. Now, I think the story behind it's pretty interesting. Freddie uh, Mercury came up with this, basing it on a fantasy world called Rye that he had created with his sister. They were actually brought up on an African island of Zanzibar, and they were part. And they, their family was in the Zoroastrianism religion, which was originally founded in Iran, and it fueled Mercury's flights of fancy. I think that's kind of interesting, but I just, you know, like if I John Adam makes these song lists up for me, and if I had been making it up, I probably would have picked this song. But I think it was their second single that they ever released and it really did kind of like do well and put them on the map type of thing so without john putting these together you you wouldn't get exposed to this song which i think is why it's great because music is very subjective i'm not going to say it sucks i'm just going to say like if i'm putting together a queen list it's probably not on it um but it is queen and it is a very interesting song lyrically with that it's been jack spirico with another edition of the survival podcast